In May 2016, 11-year-old Ashlyn Mike and her 9-year-old brother were playing together on the Navajo Reservation in San Juan County, New Mexico, when a man they didn't know drove up in a van and offered them a ride home. The events of that day led to Ashlyn's abrupt and violent end, calling attention to the jurisdictional issues surrounding the failed Amber Alert that could have saved her. This is the story of Ashlyn Mike. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Sorry, sidebar. I watched this TikTok about this guy who analyzes handwriting. And he, I don't know if it was a joke or not. I'm hoping it was a joke. He said, if you do this little tick before your name, it means you have violent tendencies. And I'm like, what the hell? What? Don't tell me you have one of those little ticks. Every time I sign my name, I'm like, oh my God, am I mad? <laughs> oh my gosh, it has you questioning yourself now. I've been trying to change my signature. Ooh, I wonder what they look for with the letter S. Because I wouldn't think you'd have like a little tick with an S. Um, I don't know. Yeah, send us that TikTok so we can see. Although we're all Indigenous women here, so we might all have little ticks in our signatures. <laughs> so ever since then, I've been trying to change my signature. But then, like, when I'm not paying attention, I'll still do it like that. Because I'm like, mm, I don't know. Maybe I should stop. There was, there was another part of it, too. I'll send it to you. All right. On that note, Ash, I think we're ready. This episode will be a tough one. I want to go ahead and warn our listeners and respect the fact that if you choose to not listen and bypass this episode, I fully understand. This story will cover the abduction of 11-year-old Ashlyn Mike. And I want to give a trigger warning as this episode describes graphic details of violence and assault. So if you feel this may be too much for you, go ahead and skip today's episode. We respectfully understand. However, if you choose to stay with us, we will cover her story. It is important to know who Ashlyn was and the remarkable young lady she was. I have no respect for the monster in this story and will only give you details of this horrible story, all while highlighting the fantastic young life she lived and the issues with the Amber Alert system on reservation lands. As for him, he is the monster of this story, simple as that. No more than a horrific monster who is the nightmare of our dreams. Ashlyn Mike was beautiful, inspiring, and the light of her parents' life, and her parents' prayers answered in every aspect of having the perfect child. She was beautiful with black hair, a dark, beautiful, indigenous skin complexion, beautiful high cheekbones, and the most beautiful smile. She was born on November 13, 2004, in Farmington, New Mexico. She lived with her father and siblings in Lower Fruitland, which is a small town near the Navajo Reservation, located not far from Farmington. Ashton was in the fifth grade and a member of the Navajo Nation, or Diné, which is what they call themselves in their own language. And that's similar to how we reference to ourselves as we are Katua people, but... We're called Cherokee because that's a Creek word. And it's what the settlers just kind of named us when they moved here. And so she is of the Diné um, Nation. On the afternoon of May 2nd, 2016, Ashlyn and her younger brother, who was nine, and her older sister, Graceland, who was 12, were walking home from their bus stop after school. And I'm not entirely sure what time this would have been, but I guess it would have been somewhere between 3.30 and 4.30 since it was after school. They had about a one-fourth mile walk from the bus stop to their house. As they were walking down the dirt road, a man in a red van driving on that same dirt road pulled up to 12-year-old Graceland Mike, the older sister, who was walking just out of sight of her siblings. The man driving the red van asked her if she needed a ride, and she declined. The van drove on down the road. He drove until he came upon Ashlyn and her younger brother, who were playing in a canal near their bus stop. He asked them if they needed a ride, and they agreed since Ashton had a 
had a hurt foot. And usually Ashlyn is usually pretty shy. And so a lot of the sources said it, she probably wouldn't have took that ride if her foot hadn't been hurt. What year was this? 2016. Ashlyn got to the front seat and her younger brother climbed into the back seat. He drove away opposite of the way to their home. He drove to Shiprock Pinnacle, which is an iconic landmark with unique towering rock formations. And this would be about 20 miles from the kids' bus stop. And this road went from a rural area to a remote area to the desert. Meanwhile, Graceland, the older sister, reached home, and her brother and sister were not there. She immediately got scared and recalled the red van and immediately called her mom. But her mom lived in Redlands, California. You see, the kids lived with their dad, and at that time, he was at work. Pamela Foster, the children's mom, immediately called the Navajo Nation Police Department to report her kids missing. Foster reported a news article that she was placed on hold, transferred a few times, and told that the Shiprock Police Department were short-staffed and only had one officer on duty. And I could imagine how scared she was and how frustrated she must have felt, especially being so far away and the police just transferring her, you know, there's nothing we can really do right now. And so she was desperate. So she started posting on Facebook, um, just trying to get some attention to the serious matter, trying to locate her kids. Back in Fruitland at the kids' home, um, at 6.53 p.m. that evening, Gary Mike, their father, was finally able to file a missing persons report for, her chi- for his children with the Navajo Nation Police Department in Shiprock. No sooner had he done this, and I'm talking like 20 minutes after the report was filed, a couple had shown up in the police department, the same one in Shiprock, and brought in a little boy who they found walking alone on the side of the road. They reported he looked frightened, so they stopped to help him, and because they had no cell phone reception out in the desert, they drove him to the nearest police station. And it turns out it was Ashlyn's little brother that they brought to the police department. But Ashlyn was nowhere to be found. She was not with her brother when the couple found him. So at this point, text messages and Facebook posts were spreading across town, and people were growing concerned of her whereabouts. People in Shiprock started looking. Mike, the father, was driving the roads near Shiprock Pinnacle, going off his son's recollection of what he could remember. Remember, he's nine years old. Mm -hmm. He's scared. He just went through something very traumatic. So he was looking for cows on the left side of the road, houses here, horses there. I mean, and it was starting to get dark, and eventually it became nighttime. So what time What time was the sibling brought to the police station? So the dad uh, was able to file the missing persons report at 6.53 p.m. And so it, in the articles, it stated that about 20 minutes after that, so probably a little bit after 8 o'clock is when he was brought into the police station by the couple that found him. Yeah, it didn't sound like there was a very large time span between the two. So it was probably already getting dark when when they brought him to the police station. Yeah, it was in May. And I'm really not familiar with how the time, um, the sunsets and stuff are in the desert, especially out in New Mexico. But I would say it was probably starting to get dark. Before long, it was dark because it was already late in the evening when all this was, you know, coming about. So this is scary that it's happening to an 11-year-old. And the family and the community knew at this point that she was taken. They knew based on what her little brother told them that she was abducted. And, like, where could she be? Did she try to escape as well? Is she alone, lost in the desert? Was she long gone by now? Like, where could she be? But at this point, an Amber Alert still had not been issued even hours after the family reported her missing. 
Again, as we stated numerous times before, jurisdiction issues always come into play. Because when a child goes missing, time is crucial in finding them. In 76% of kidnappings, children are the victims of homicide within the first three hours. So how would jurisdiction issues play into an Amber Alert? So how or why would jurisdictional issues play a part in an Amber Alert? I guess my mind immediately goes to, okay, it's an Amber Alert. It's a missing child. There really shouldn't be any barriers there. I mean, it's a missing child. We should be doing everything possible to find them. Right, I agree. And I'll get into that a little bit later. So hold that thought. In cases like Ashland's, jurisdictional issues, remote locations, and long-standing mistrust in law enforcement come into play. Basically, in the articles I read, it stated if a child is abducted in a city like Albuquerque, they have so many resources as well as access to a quick Amber Alert being made. But on the Navajo Nation Reservation, there's obstacles. And there was not much that was done or done quick enough in Ashland's case. So what was done? I guess I'm confused now. You told us that an Amber Alert didn't get put out, but why didn't it? Well, it hasn't been put out yet, and I'll get into that. Just Yeah, from my understanding, right now in the timeline of where Asha's at, we're still dealing with jurisdictional issues. Yeah, at this point, no Amber Alert has been made due to the jurisdictional issues, which if she was abducted in Albuquerque in a city, I feel like an Amber Alert would have been made instantly. But she's on reservation land. There's jurisdictional issues. And I'll I'll just I'll go into that and describe that. Just let me finish the story and I'll go into that, okay? Okay. So back to what happened that day. Tom Begay Jr., a twenty seven year old man that the kids didn't know, was driving the red van and offered the kids a ride home. They got in, but in, instead, of course, like I said earlier, instead of taking them home, he drove down a remote road near Pinnacle Monument. He pulled off the road and took Ashlyn from the van and walked her out to the desert while leaving the little brother in the van. So I'll give a trigger warning here if you don't want to hear what happened to her, you can skip ahead. Federal prosecutors stated in a news release that Begay, who I'm just going to say he had to have intention to do all this, this is what I think, he had to know what he was going to do when he picked him up and what kind of disgusting thoughts he had to have prior to all this. But this guy, this monster, took her to an area in the desert where he sexually assaulted Ashlyn. Oh, my God. Then he strangled her and then proceeded to hit her repeatedly over the head and face with a tire iron. Oh, my God. A grown man hitting an 11-year-old with a tire iron left her laying on the ground still alive. Oh, my God. She was still alive? That poor thing. He walked away, got back in his van, and told the little brother to get out leaving him on the side of the road, and as stated earlier, he was picked up by the kind strangers and taken to the police department. I was going to say, so when he was picked up, did he not tell them that his sister was laying, dying? The little brother Ian stated at the police department when when he was picked up by this couple, he thinks he was in the van for about an hour. Remember, he's nine years old. After he was told to get out of the van, he started walking till he found a paved road and followed it hoping to find help for his sister because he knew she was somewhere out there. How pitiful. He told the strangers who picked him up he was kidnapped and he didn't know where his sister was and he was very scared. Aww. And I think at this point, like I was telling Shashi earlier, I spent like three nights working on this and each night was like four or five hours each. And like I'd have to stop and take breaks because 
there'd be certain points that I'd be reading stuff and writing this stuff out and I'd have to stop because I'd be on the verge of tears and I'd have to take a deep breath and just put it down because I mean I, I just can't imagine what kind of person would do this to kids. And I think what is particularly upsetting is that this little boy relayed this information and yet there's still a delay in getting any kind of alert out there. Well now it's beyond the point of an amber alert you know now it kind of defeats the purpose because they know she's injured and they know you know it it was past the point of the amber alert being even effective at that point what do you mean because the amber alert is designed to notify people of like the type of car the person may be in you know they could have stopped them in traffic oh i see or even like a bolo of like here's the van that they were seen you know that was in the neighborhood once they're injured it defeats the it, it it is already too late Absolutely. It's like so sadly. She succumbed to her injuries and her family found her the next day. She wasn't even found that night? Oh my God. Well, they she's still a missing person at this point. Yeah. Oh, that um, poor thing. On May 3rd, 2016 at 11.30 a.m. by search crews on ATVs a few miles from where her brother was picked up. This means Ian walked miles before he was found. A news conference was held and a description of the man they were searching for was released. A light-skinned Native American man in his young 30s or older 20s driving a red van. Community tips were coming in, and a tip led the police to a sweat lodge. Get this. To a sweat lodge where they believed Tom McGay Jr. was. The men in the community had gathered at this sweat lodge to pray for Ashlyn. Tom McGay... Don't say it. ...went to a sweat lodge to pray for Ashlyn with everyone else, knowing what he did. Yes. That is so disrespectful. Tom Begay was tracked down by his red van and admitted to abduction of the children and bludgeoning of Ashlyn. He even stated he took Ashlyn with the intent of raping her, but she began to cry, and that's why he strangled her and hit her with the tire iron. I, I, I have no words. He even stated she was still moving when he left her in the desert. He knew that she was still alive and still left her there. Like, what a monster. Ian was able to identify him as the man who took him and his sister. He was charged, and on August 1st, 2017, he pled guilty to six charges, including felony murder, aggravated sexual abuse resulting in death, and kidnapping of a minor. His lawyer pointed out he was intellectually disabled and had been abused growing up, including being hit in the head with a two-by-four. And that was their defense. But he was still found guilty and sentenced. And after two years of being sentences, or after two years into his sentence of pleading guilty and the conviction, Begay filed motions from prison requesting he be allowed to plead to a lesser charge, claiming he didn't understand the law or his rights and that his defense lawyer was incompetent. That's dumb. He lost his rights the minute he kidnapped those innocent kids. I mean, I guess he thought he could get a lesser sentence or something even after pleading guilty. In August 2020, a judge denied Begay's petition to the court, ruling the convicted killer made his request eight months past the filing deadline and failed to provide reasons proving why his federal lawyer was incompetent. So let's go back to the Amber Alert situation. So pull, pull your notes out, Shiyashi. Yeah, I had to Google a lot for this one. So the Navajo Nation Police Department, like the Diné, the Navajo, is like, the biggest tribe in the country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Navajo Nation Police Department covers dur- jurisdictions of the Navajo Reservation in three states, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona. 
Lower Fruitland, where the Mikes lived, was under the Shiprock District. And again, let me remind you, the mother called the Shiprock Department and was transferred, put on hold, and finally told they only had one officer on duty. One officer to cover this huge amount of land. Which again, we have stated numerous times, the lack of law enforcement on these reservations is a huge issue. The amount of land they have to cover and low numbers of officers. It's unimaginable the crimes people can get away with. The police department was having trouble getting in contact with the one officer, and there seemed to be a lack of communication between the other police department stations in the surrounding areas as they were not offering any help or resources such as helicopters, which could have been very useful in the search of the desert. So it was confirmed by Ashton's brother she was kidnapped, right? So we know she was taken. Farmington Police Department was contacted by the family, not Shiprock Police Department, but family of Ashland's, to see if they knew anything about Ashland missing. And they did not. They did not know anything of a missing child. So I'm guessing, like, if someone's reported missing to a police department, they kind of put put it out, like you say, a bolo to surrounding um, police departments, and then eventually an Amber Alert comes out, right? Um, and I'll get into that. I'll go into the specifics a little bit more. So the New Mexico State Police Department is the only department who could issue an Amber Alert at the request of a local police department. It takes typically 40 minutes for the request of the approval or denial of an Amber Alert. Ashland's situation met the criteria for an Amber Alert. She was under 17. She was in imminent danger. They had information on the abductor and the child. But again, due to jurisdiction issues, the Farmington Police Department could not just go into the Navajo Nation district jurisdiction and start searching, so they waited on a call for an assistance, and it never came. Shiprock never asked for assistance. The confusion of jurisdiction comes into play as the Navajo Nation covers three states. Remember, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah? Yeah, it's a lot of land. And none of these states have jurisdiction on the reservation land as it is federal land and not state land. It took three more hours for the Amber Alert to finally be made. Three more hours? What? So stay with me and stop me if you need me to explain because it can get difficult. So Ashton was reported missing by her father at 6.53 p.m. to the Navajo Nation Police Department in Shiprock. At 9 o'clock p.m., the Navajo Nation Police Department put in a request to the FBI. Now, Amber Alerts are not put out by the FBI. They are put out by the state. But due to the jurisdiction issue, it was unclear which police department was supposed to request the alert. According to a news article by Esquire, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was contacted and they contacted the New Mexico State Police to formally launch the Amber Alert. It was 2.30 a.m. when the alert hit people's cell phones of missing Ashland. I'm sorry, this whole notion that they're trying to figure out who's supposed to submit what for an Amber Alert is absolutely ridiculous. How about whoever hears of the missing child first submit it and do something? I don't understand this. And so I'm going to guess that was about 10 to 11 hours after she had been abducted and about six and a half after hours after she was reported missing. Oh, my God. 2.30 a.m. It's 2.30 a.m. People are That asleep. is ridiculous. What is, the, what is the average turnaround time for an Amber Alert? 40 minutes. 
40 minutes and it took hours for Ashlyn to get an alert. Like I stated earlier, your state police is who puts out the Amber Alert. Did she go, so she went missing and they didn't go across state lines or anything. She was still in her, the town, or the, she was still in New Mexico when she was found. Even though the Navajo Nation is in three different states. She, she and the kidnappers never went outside of the same state. No, not that we're aware of, no. There really should have not been a question about which state was responsible for issuing the alert. I think the confusion was which police department, local police department, would put the request in. But even that doesn't make sense. Because, I mean, it that's not just, I mean, no, that's not justifiable at all. It's, it's Shiprock, it's Farmington, somebody put it in. This whole thing is really upsetting. Because the way I feel is like, Put the, put the alert out there and find her. I mean, do something. Shiprock was the police department that got it. And Farmington knew nothing of it. And so the Navajo Nation is the one who called the FBI. And that's how they got the ball rolling. But there's more. Ashlyn's father filed a lawsuit against the Navajo Nation for failing to have an emergency notification system in place that could have saved Ashlyn's life. And like I stated earlier, the Amber Alert was not issued in New Mexico until 2.30 a.m., hours after she was missing and hours after she was reported missing. So get this, an Amber Alert system for the 27,000 square mile reservation was proposed years before Ashland's incident, but was never implemented, despite the tribe being awarded $330,000 in federal funding as part of the U.S. Justice Department pilot project called Amber Alert Indian Country. Half of that money was spent on supplies such as megaphones and pop-up tents, but the rest was unspent. Well, what good's a megaphone if no one knows a child is missing? Like that could have went to training, upgrading equipment. So the, the tribe dropped the ball on this? Same thoughts. Somebody dropped the ball. And Gary Mike wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for anything other than he wanted New Mexico. I'm sorry, Navajo Nation to own up to their lack of duty and not providing a notification system and putting it in place that could have saved his daughter and to help children in the future if it was to happen to another uh, family. In December 2017, the Navajo Nation purchased software needed for the Amber Alert system on the reservation. Ashland's mother, Pam, did not want it to just cover the Navajo Nation. She went to legislators and got them to take a bill to Congress that was passed by both houses in April of 2018. The Amber Alert in Indian Country, also known as Ashland's Law, was signed. It allows tribal Amber Alert systems to integrate with state systems, and it includes all tribal lands. And so that was huge. Director Jesse Delmar of the Navajo Nation Division of Public Safety stated, and I quote, the Navajo people cherish our little young ones. And so this case was so extreme and so shocking to us all. This could have been prevented. But I think in one of the articles I read, it said that the guy that was put over it, he kind of like got another job and it just kind of got left undone. Like like they started working on this um, Amber Alert system in Indian country and he just moved and nobody else picked it up and finished the job. You know, I've got a mix of emotions going on right here. I mean, first and foremost, I'm pissed because it was our own people that dropped the ball on this much needed alert system. Well, what's sad, too, is kind of like what we always talk about is people always say, you know, our women are precious, our children are precious. You know, they're they're the focus. But what are we doing to protect them? 
Exactly. We ju- we can't be all talk. We have to actually do something. There has to be action. We have to, you know, ugh, I don't know. It's like there's just so much we have to do. Ash, when you were talking in the beginning, I was watching a video the other night about, um, I don't know if you guys get on like serial killer TikTok, but I get on crime TikTok where it's like they just go over cases of like stuff that's happened. And someone had commented in one of the threads about how terrible this man was for doing something that he did and said when I was growing up my dad always told me um there are monsters among us and when I was young I thought that there were monsters like under my bed but then I realized as I was older the monsters are the people around me oh my gosh like that's the exact thought that I had like but and you know we tell our kids monsters aren't real but evidently monsters are very real. And sometimes they're people named Tom Begay Jr. Like that, I I literally wrote that in my story. So it's crazy how we're like on the same thing. Something that bothers me too is that this guy was also Navajo. So, you know, this is, this is his family too. I mean, these children are part of his bloodline in some sense. So it's just so terrible that he did this to this little girl. So nonchalant, it seems like. Like he did it and then just went on about his day. And he had the audacity to go to a sweat lodge. We probably need to explain what a sweat lodge is. Oh, good point. Osh? So a sweat lodge is like a form of prayer. It's a a form of like spiritual, uh, traditional spiritualization. They just go inside like this uh, makeshaft uh, lodge. It's kind of like a sauna, I guess you could describe it as something similar to a sauna. You go in there to sweat. But the intent is for healing, though, right? right. Yes. A lot of times you, you fast and you go in there and so you, you're wanting to heal and you're wanting to, um, you know, revitalize your spirit. It, it, is, it is a way. It's a spiritual thing. It's a, it, to, yeah, to heal yourself, to pray, all those things. Uh, and that's what he was doing with a bunch of other men for Ashlyn. And the whole time he knew what he did. It's just sad. It's a sad story all around. But as hard as it is to hear, it's still a story that needs to be told. And this is a tragic story of Ashlyn Mike. And even though her life was taken way too soon in a tragic way, her precious life is still making a difference in Indian country to this day. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.